How's it going, everybody? Anthony Kazenza here with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast and CincyJungle.com. Coming at you Tuesday. Had to take a little bit of a respite on Monday. I think we all need to take a step back on Monday after, I don't know, just everything that happened Sunday. Crazy game as it pertains to the Bengals and the Packers. I'm sure Packers fans are also kind of like, what, what did we just witness? Uh, five missed field goals. Another missed extra point between the two kickers. Basically, both teams kind of playing hot potato and saying, I don't want to win this game. You win this game. No, I don't want to win this game. You win this game. <laughs> and I, I don't know. Green Bay comes up on the on the, uh, on the the fun side of it, 25-22. The Bengals are left with some questions. I think a lot of us are optimistic about the performance in a lot of different ways, but I think there are still, like I said, a lot of different questions, a lot of different things pertaining to this team where – we kind of say, where, where, where are we at right now? Um, and, and right now the Bengals are kind of doing what they did under with under Marvin Lewis with some of his best teams where they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat in terms of records and seemingly winnable games on the, on the schedule, but not beating those elite teams, not beating those uh, not beating those upper echelon teams that you need to start beating with regularity if you want to be taken seriously as a contender and and be confident that you're going to win in the playoffs if and when you get there. This is a, a good comment here by Antonio Wooten, a really brief one, but can we score 30? That is a great, great question. We're going to get to a lot of different headlines. I kind of renamed this a little bit. I'm not sure what I want to call this show. I've called it a, you know, uh, just kind of, News and headlines and water cooler chat. I don't know. I called it happening headlines. I don't know if I even like that one very much, but we'll we'll keep tinkering with it. Regardless, we're bringing you all the different stuff with the Bengals, the AFC North. A, a a big game for the AFC North last night. They got buried under some NFL news as the Ravens beat the Colts in overtime. I had some personal attachments to that game yet didn't even get to really watch it very much so very interesting one there so we'll talk about some stuff going on in the AFC North and around the NFL if you're new to this show welcome we've had some new subscribers to our YouTube channel some new subscribers as well to the audio side of the podcast so you can if you subscribe to the audio side you can get our show the Orange and Black Insider which is hosted by myself or my, and or my co-host John Sheeran. We have a lot of different guests and a lot of different people that we bring on the program. We do this show where we kind of comb over some headlines surrounding the league. We do our analysis deep dive breakdown show on Wednesday. We do some fantasy football talk in, in, during the week. And then of course we do listener questions live post game show. So we're bringing you stuff almost every day of the week on our show, the Orange and Black Insider, but on the podcast channel itself, we've got all kinds of other stuff as well. Great stuff from Ace and Zim, Orange is the New Black, another podcast on the channel, as well as Coach Speak and, and uh, Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick. All kinds of different stuff, which is all available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the major ones were there. And of course, our YouTube channels, whether it's New Stripe City or ours, the Orange and Black Insider. And I think you can subscribe right there if you're watching the YouTube channel, right there by my left shoulder that I'm pointing at, wiggling, all that kind of stuff. You can click there, subscribe, and get going. But uh, we appreciate all the support. It, I know it's not an easy week and not, a, not an easy game to swallow for, for Bengals fans on that one. I know 
a lot of people who were there in person rooting for either team. And they got a lot of extra football to watch and a, a crazy one. But let's talk about that game. We'll start there with uh, kind of what happened at the, in the late portions of that game. We'll talk about some aftermath from that game. And we will lead into some things going on with the Bengals as they head to Detroit to try and right the ship and get to four and two. Uh, that's going to be a tricky game. We'll talk more about that in a second. But. There were some instances at the end of the game that brought some questions, whether it was why the Joe Mixon run at the end of the Bengals' last possession there, you know, they got got them to, to fourth and inches. Why wasn't that reviewed? Because that spot seemed to be not necessarily... Uh, well, there's questions on that spot, I guess. It wasn't necessarily wrong or right. It just probably deserved a second look, didn't get one. And then there was some sort of a false start t- potential situation on the game-winning field goal. Uh, lo- you know, Logan Wilson point, you see here from Nathan Begley, uh, Logan Wilson pointed at the at the Packers, but he didn't really have a case. Um, you see here... Uh, there's this is from Jake Liskow of Locked On Bengals kind of explaining a little bit here. Wilson was just pointing at a guy who was getting into his stance. The Bengals shift, the left guard gets knee off the ground into the stance. Um, and then, you know, it just wasn't called. But Crosby hit the field goal regardless. Um, you know, would have put the, the field goal at 54 yards. Crosby hit the 49-yarder. Um, McPherson missed a 49-yarder. So kind of a cool little breakdown and, and maybe a little bit of a, a numbered – uh, a little <laughs> number by number uh, breakdown as to maybe why that wasn't called from from our colleague Jake Liskow over at Locked On Bengals. So good stuff from him, and and just kind of in case people were wondering that that just wasn't a situation where I guess was it was going to be called. I, I think the review of the Joe Mixon thing was maybe something that could have been looked at a little further, but was not. So. Take from that what you will. That's kind of, you know, the Bengals missed some opportunities to really take it. Well, not necessarily take control of the game, but they had opportunities to win that game. And it was it was there for the taking, and they did not take advantage. They just did not take advantage. And, um, you know, the, the Packers had chances to wrap that one up a lot as well, whether it was ending drives in w- with touchdowns that they got pretty close later in the game and instead of attempting field goals that they would have missed, you know, both teams had a chance to, to wrap this thing up earlier and not take it to overtime um, and, or, or wrap it up earlier in overtime, depending on the situation. And that just didn't, didn't occur. So uh, at any rate, you know, we're, we're trying to move on here and we're trying to find positives and moral victories. I guess I'm not a big moral victory guy myself, but I think we're all trying to get some form of positive, you know, positive news as it pertains to the Bengals coming off a loss here. I'm going to post this in the live chat. This next one I'm sharing with everybody here. This is an article on Cincy Jungle. Devontae Adams says, these aren't the same old Bengals. Man, that is such like a double-edged sword type of backhanded compliment where it's like, I, I how many times have we heard this over the years? When the Bengals play a good team and they play them tough and it's just, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit frustrating to hear, but... Um, you know, CJ Uzama before the game said, you know, we get this win and we put the league on notice that we're here. I think he was on good morning football when he said that, um, 
after the game, quote, it's not the same old Bengals everybody expected to roll over. The Bengals are a good team, uh, is what Devontae Adams said about the Bengals. And that, you know, I mean, he came off a game where he had over 200 yards receiving, was just kind of making play after play. And it, whether it was a big bomb against Chidobia Wuzier, who I think did overall a pretty good job on Adams, he... I think only allowed about 80 yards of that 200 to Devontae Adams. And you knew Adams was going to get his. You didn't think he was going to get 200 yards, but you knew he was going to have a pretty good game. You knew Rodgers was going to put up some stats. Um, you know, I, I got kind of roasted a little bit on the the winners and losers post, as is the way of that post <laughs> when when you write that on Cincy Jungle about putting Lou Anarumo on there. But look, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, the Packers had a 100-yard rusher, a 200-yard receiver, a 300-yard passer, and I know it went into overtime. Um, yes, they only let up 22 points, but the kicker missed you know, opportunities to put up another 10 points on the board um, and, and did not. So, I mean, I, there, there are a lot of different ways to look at this, and I do think that the Bengals' defense at times held strong and, and got the ball back or held Green Bay to field goal attempts that, that Mason Crosby missed. So, I mean, you got to give him a little bit of credit for that. But, I mean, when you're looking at the performances in the early part of the season when they held two top rushers from 2020 in Dalvin Cook and uh, uh, Montgomery of the Bears to, to 60, a little over 60 yards rushing apiece, um, and then you come into this one and they're let, I think their two backs combined for about 130, 140 yards. Um, you know, you had Adams going off and, and they weren't, there weren't a lot of answers in this one from the defense in terms of allowing yards, allowing some points too. but at any rate, still good, good words from Devonte Adams. He at least seemingly noted a difference between playing the Bengals and or this Bengals team compared to the one he has heard about or seen about uh, in recent years under Zach Taylor, et cetera. So Devontae Adams at least giving a little bit of praise to the Bengals. Let's look at snap counts for the team. Joe Mixon, of course, was very limited because of that ankle injury. This is on cincyjungle.com as well. So if you, uh, I'll put this in the live chat for folks to, to check out as well. Uh, these are the snap counts courtesy of my co-host, John Sheeran. Um, let's go down here. You see here, Jonah Williams, 100% of the plays. Uh, basically all, all of the offensive linemen and Joe Burrow, 100% of the plays. Chase playing 91% of the games. And boy, is he off to a great start to his career. We'll talk more about that in just a second. CJ Uzama getting out there quite a bit, 56 snaps, not, not huge plays from Uzama. Tyler Boyd uh, out there, 55 snaps, 82% of the snaps and had a minimal impact. Higgins, 47 snaps, a bit less um, than Chase and Boyd out there, 70%. I think part of that probably was because they wanted to limit him a little bit from the shoulder issue that hampered him from the past two weeks. Uh, and then, you know, Higgins also had limited opportunities and he had two big drops in this game. One was a bit tougher of a grab than, than the other, but one was late in the game and, and you kind of feel like, man, you got you got to make that catch. Um, so, but kind of a tough game from them, but Chase picked up the slack there and you know that Boyd and Higgins are going to make a lot of good plays for this team 
down the stretch here. P. Ryan getting the bulk of the carries at running back, 41 snaps, 61% of the total offensive snaps. Sample in there quite a bit more than we have seen. 21 snaps, 31% of the offense's snaps. And look, he he had, for the first time this year, they gave him some looks. I think he had three targets. Um, one was a drop. One was a six-yard gain where he had a lot of open room and he kind of tripped over the turf. Um, and another was, I think, another catch there. So, you know, not a great day for him in a day where they needed him to kind of be an outlet um, tertiary option in the offense at times and uh, didn't really have the impact that you would hope for either Mixon out there only 19 snaps or 28% of the offensive snaps and still limited snaps from Auden Tate, 13 from him or 19% of the total snaps. Trent Irwin, 9 and uh, 13%. Evans out there, only seven snaps, but made a couple of catches there, 10%. Uh, Prince out there on four snaps. Mitchell Wilcox out there for two, who is usually a special teams guy. Vaughn Bell and Jesse Bates playing all of the snaps. Wouzier uh, left. He got, he got knocked around a little bit on a hit. I think it was from Bell, if I remember correctly, took a took a hit, left briefly, came back. Logan Wilson out there for 55 snaps. Hubbard out there, 53. And then look at the defensive line rotation again. Hendrickson doing all kinds of different things for the defensive line. Out there for 80% of the snaps. Reader out there for 77. Um, and then you look at Ogan Joby down a few spots there, 58% there. BJ Hill, 41%. And Tupo, 39%. I think, you know, you probably want to – Maybe limit reader snaps a little bit more than that, but I mean they were running the ball effectively for the most part, and um, you know reader was was a guy they were hoping to to help that situation. Ogan Joby had a had a good play late, but most of these guys it was pretty quiet from the guys that were doing a lot of different stuff on defense the the prior weeks. Davis Gaither out there thirty three percent sample a rotational guy that they had both inside and out on the defensive line, getting 17 snaps there. Um, and then Wyatt Ray out there more and more. And uh, no no Hodge, no uh, Darius Hodge there. It's been the Wyatt Ray show since. So, um, and then, of course, you see Jordan Evans there. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking stuff for Jordan Evans, who suffered a season-ending injury. We'll talk about that more in just a second. And Ricardo Allen coming back from injury. You thought that was – I thought that, that he was going to be out there uh, the first game he was out there, I think about 20 plus snaps, and you thought he was going to be out there quite a bit more, particularly against Aaron Rodgers having, and you can have that three safety look. Maybe he just wasn't fully ready to go, um, and so they only used six, uh, used him on six snaps. So that was a little surprising there, but that's a little bit of the snap distribution. I put the link in the live chat so you can see that there, and uh, you know, that's it's interesting to kind of see how they're using the linebackers, how they're using the defensive linemen, how they're using all that kind of all that personnel there. It's, it's interesting to see the breakdowns, especially week by week. And, and it's especially, especially interesting to look at that breakdown given the result of the game, right? I mean, that, the, those snap counts usually dictate uh, or, or, you know, show you how that game was the ebbs and flow of that particular game. So pretty interesting to see all of that breakdown there and I think I like I said I think I put that in the live chats for you all to digest there so check that out some scary news 
from the Cincinnati Bengals here, but it, it ended up being good news. Joe Burrow was released from the hospital on Sunday night after the game with a throat contusion scare. O- oddly enough, this was a, I think I tweeted this out. This was an injury that I just have not heard a lot about in, in football, much less pro football. Um, uh, I'm pretty ignorant to it quite honestly, but both Joe Burrow and JOK, the rookie, um, Owosu Koromora at uh, Cleveland, he had one too. Not only the same division, not only the same state, they weren't playing in the same state, but teams in the same state, same division, and it's the same week that that two of these injuries happen after I haven't really heard much about this at all. So I I just found that to be very – very interesting and kind of a scare. I mean, anything with the neck, the throat, the head, any of that kind of stuff is especially scary, but Joe Burrow was released Sunday night from a local hospital. Uh, He was evaluated for the throat contusion. Apparently he had been quote poked in the throat. I don't exactly know what, what that means exactly. He took a big hit at one point where he kind of twisted all the way around. Um, You know, he had been sacked a couple of, I, I think it was three times in that game so, you know, there could have been a lot of opportunities where he could have taken a hit there, uh, called his number on a quarterback draw. Who knows exactly what happened there, but there was some reports of him not being able to speak uh, either as loudly or as well as he as he wanted to. Uh, obviously, some discomfort there, but it sounds like, per Ian Rappaport and other sources, sounds like Burrow's going to be okay and he's going to come back and, and play this next week. So, um Scary, but good news on the Joe Burrow injury front so far. Let's go, since we just kind of did some Joe Burrow talk and snap count, let's go to our friend Andrew Russell, who shares a lot of PFF stuff on Twitter, at PFF underscore Andrew R. Here are the true pass block grades and ranks for the Bengals offensive linemen this season. Williams, 72.3. He has been pretty solid. You see 13th out of 64. Did let up a sack last week. Um, 72.3 pass block grade, though, through five five games. Spain, 66.7, which is good for 15th out of 65 total qualifying guards. Hopkins, oh boy, 29, which is 31st of 33 qualifying centers. Carmen, 54.0, which is good for 29th. Out of 65, that's basically, you know, a little bit right around middle of the road. Uh, Xavier Suofilo, a little, a, a, quite a bit worse than that. Not uh, 41.7. And Reef at 53 overall, 40th out of 64. And you see the Bengals overall rank 13th out of 32 in the pass block grade department from PFF. Look, I know it's been pretty ugly. I know that we like to take, and, and we should, we take, a lot of context and a lot of validity. We put a lot of validity in the PFF scores. So we take a lot out of those scores. And for the Bengals to be ranked 13th out of 32, when you look at what some of the talking heads like myself were saying going into this season, that if the Bengals were around middle of the pack, maybe even a little bit better than middle of the pack in some of these high and statistical metrics, stats, that sort of thing as it pertains to the offensive line, as it pertains to the defensive line, as it pertains to the secondary, 
you know, as, as you look at some of those, you'd say, hey, I'd take that based on what we've seen the past couple of years. So in some ways, 13th out of 32 qualifying there, that's that's a that's a pretty good jump for the Cincinnati Bengals in terms of pass block grade. So, um, you know, that's that is something to to kind of be pleased about. But, you know, you're still seeing quite a quite a few issues in terms of consistency. You're still seeing quite a few issues in terms of Joe Burrow taking hits, getting sacked. Some of that is his own doing. We know that, but there, there are it's it's imperfect in terms of the offensive line play. But you know, if you look at some of those metrics, at least with pass block grades as it pertains to the Bengals' offensive line, um, that's not a bad that's not a bad spot to be. Obviously, improvement to be had. Um, they got to probably look at continuing to look at the center and right guard spots and what's happening there because those are obviously your two lowest scoring spots. I mean, Reef. I feel like that score, yes, is low, putting him 40th at the tackle uh, and qualifying tackles. But I think we can all agree that Reef has been a steadying presence at, at right tackle um, compared to his predecessors that were that were placed there. So uh, we'll we'll see how they continue to improve, if at all, going forward this year. One guy who is just talk about improvement. <laughs> uh, if you want to, if you, I'm trying to, I'm debating which one to share first here. I guess I'll continue on with Andrew Russell because this is, a, this is a good tweet here, kind of saying I interrupt my Burrow discourse to bring you this. Jamar Chase ranks among the rookie wide receivers here. We'll we'll show you the picture. A nice sideline toe tra- toe tap grab that was in, was in overtime there. PFF grade. He is the first highest graded rookie wide receiver has the most yards out of rookie wide receivers, has the most contested catches out of rookie wide receivers, most 15-plus yard plays out of wide receivers, yards per route run. He is second in passer rating when targeted first. He is easily making a, a good case, not only for offensive rookie of the year, but just NFL rookie of the year. A great year by Chase. And in case you're kind of wondering where he's at stat-wise, I will uh, pull this one up for you as well. And I'll even add to what you're about to see here. This is from Seth Reese out there through the first five NFL games from Jamar Chase, 23 catches, 453 receiving yards, five touchdowns. You look at Randy Moss, one less reception in his rookie year, 22 receptions, 10 more receiving yards, 463, and one more touchdown as a rookie did Randy Moss have uh, over Jamar Chase. So Jamar Chase is in an elite company in terms of his rookie production. Additionally, if you saw the graphic on Fox Sports, he has now made four plays of 40-plus yards in the first five games of the season, which ties him with Marvin Harrison, not, not, not rookie Marvin Harrison of any wide receiver through the first five games, four plays of 40 plus yards. Marvin Harrison, I believe it was back in 2003 was who he tied that mark with. So Jamar Chase is doing work for the Cincinnati Bengals. And unfortunately, you know, there are times where you kind of say, Hey, you know, he's, he's seeming to light it up. Go, go get him the ball again. And uh, the Bengals sometimes crawl in their shell a little bit. And uh, I don't know, they, they shy away from him. You kind of, that's been kind of a criticism of Zach Taylor. 
on uh you know what what happened in against Green Bay this this past Sunday at the end of the game you know the Bengals uh got a first down after that Jamar Chase toe toe tap grab there and then they went with three straight runs to kick a field goal and the field goal missed so I mean there's there are a lot of different talking points in terms of what the Bengals could have done should have done all of that but uh I mean it wasn't just that series. There were a lot of different situations and a lot of different people that needed to come up in order for the Bengals to get that win. We will uh, look there. There's a, there are a couple of different um, articles I want to share here. And I'm not going to go into a lot of the details because I think you all should read these. This is one that's gaining a lot of traction from Pro Football Focus, and I believe it's from Seth Galina. Uh, it's kind of making the rounds on Twitter here. But basically, if Zach Taylor doesn't evolve, Joe Burrow and the Bengals' 21 season is already over. And and here's where I, I, I understand where uh, he's coming from here. Yeah, it is Seth Galina. What I don't like is necessarily this opening sentence. Uh, the Cincinnati, the three and two Cincinnati Bengals are not a good football team. A lot of things would tell you that they're at least decent. So to call them not a quote, not a good football team. I don't necessarily agree with that whole assessment. I think they're winning games. You could, you could argue who they're winning games against the Vikings, the Steelers, uh, you know, these teams that are kind of down, uh, the Jaguars, you, these teams that don't have good records, I can understand that. So their strength of wins, you can kind of question, but you can only play who you can play. And they did go toe to toe with the Green Bay Packers this week. Could have, shoulda, woulda, coulda won that one against the Packers. Um, so I, I think they're at, you know, if you're going to be objective on this, I think you could say they're at least a decent football team, a pretty good football team to just sit, call them flat out, not a good football team. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that assessment. However, this is an excellent, excellent article by Seth Galina going through Zach Taylor, the play caller, going through the ebbs and flows of the Bengals. Um, and, and you see here, here are Burroughs stats from plays outside of structure since 2018. Um, and, and you can see the scores there, obviously 2019 being the huge 190.6, which is when he was lighting things up at LSU. And then you look at his two years with the Bengals, 71.1 uh, with a 48.6 passer rating. Um, the argument here is if you're going to implement a lot of plays, particularly as a rookie with Joe Burrow, and then of course, uh, as he's still blossoming, he's still kind of technically in his rookie season based on amount of games played and started in the NFL. Um, the, the point is, is if you're going to implement a lot of things that he tried to do at LSU or implement the things that they were doing at LSU, um, you got to let Joe Burrow be Joe Burrow. Don't take the ball out of his hands and, you know, try and, and create plays that are more conducive to success. Try and mix your looks up and what you're doing in certain packages up a little bit more. So I would encourage folks to, uh, to read this. I, I think I put that in the live chat. There it is on pro football focus. Um, so go check that one out. It's, it's a really, really interesting article on what to make of Zach Taylor, the play caller, what to, uh, make on of all kinds of different things, uh, going on with the Bengals in their offense. We do have some breaking news 
with the Bengals, which I was actually going to get to in just a second. So we will uh, talk about talk about that. Um, I want to bring up one kind of related article to that PFF post from John Sheeran. And I want to put the link in. I'm not going to go too deep into it because I want you all to read it. But it's, again, kind of going through some of the arguments between Bengals fans, Bengals pundits about uh, Zach Taylor, the play caller, what the Bengals should be doing on offense, how much more explosive should they be on offense? Should they kind of let Joe Burrow do the Peyton Manning thing and kind of be a little bit of an on-field offensive coordinator? They sometimes let him audible and do different things, but not all the time. But you see here, execution or play calling, the Zach Taylor conversation needs nuance. And this is from John Sheeran on CincyJungle.com, getting a lot of comments, a lot of traction, a lot of attention, and rightfully so. So if you have not seen this article, if you've not read it, I recommend you do so. Continuing on, we've got some different transactions, moves, roster moves, all kinds of different things here with the Bengals. There is, I don't know if this is in response to, I don't know what this is in response to, maybe uh, losing Jaquez Patrick off the practice squad, um, but Elijah Holyfield who is Evander Holy, former heavyweight champion of the world, Evander Holyfield's son, Elijah Holyfield. He is joining the Bengals practice squad um, per reports via Ian Rappaport. Um, and then it's also in response to P. Ryan going on the COVID-19 list. I, I, I'll talk about that in a second. So um, that is all kind of uh, the, some of the dominoes there. But basically, uh, he bounced around he has bounced around the NFL since 2019 um he he had a nice junior season with over a thousand yards and seven touchdowns um splitting time with DeAndre Swift but um you know went undrafted bounced around to a couple different teams and now the Bengals are giving him a shot on their practice squad there so we will see what if any anything comes from that transaction um the Bengals are kind of not all of a sudden not in a great spot at running back and i like chris evans i like what p ryan gave last week i i'm a big joe mixon fan but now you've got joe mixon with a banged up ankle you've got samaj p ryan on the covid list uh evans a rookie still trying to find himself and when you saw p ryan for everything he did nicely on the ground and a couple times through the air last week you did see him get bowled over in pass protection and get Bur- have Burrow get sacked. So, you know, this, I, I know hindsight is, is 2020, but when you look at Giovanni Bernard, what he brought to the Bengals and a lot of different ways of what he's doing with the Buccaneers, you're kind of saying, oh boy, you know, maybe we shouldn't have <laughs> let that one go here, but bygones be bygones, right? Uh, so as I mentioned, P. Ryan is going to the COVID list, as is Jackson Carmen. So here is an update post on that. The Bengals place both of them on the COVID-19 list. And Jordan Evans, who tore a knee ligament, is on IR. You saw it was kind of tough to watch. Uh, Evans was carted off on Sunday. 
and you kind of knew that that was probably not going to be a good outcome for him, unfortunately. A guy, one of the very few Marvin Lewis holdovers on this team, a guy who is valued on special teams, so the Bengals will need to figure that out. But uh, Evans on IR, and the Bengals are putting Jackson Carmen and Samaje Pirine on the COVID-19 list. The Pirine news, and as I mentioned, the loss of Jacquez Patrick, probably paved the way for the Holyfield signing to the practice squad. So um, that is what is going on there with the Bengals. And in response to that, Zach Taylor said that even though Xavier Suofilo has kind of been like week to week and day to day and all that kind of stuff, if, and this is a, a very interesting scenario, if, Jackson Carmen will be out, continues to be out on that COVID list if he can't come back. Uh, he's going to start rookie Deontay Smith. And if you remember, Deontay Smith looked really good in camp, albeit at uh, a lot of it was at left guard, but he he was a tackle by trade in college. And he, he got some time at, you know, backup tackle spots in preseason and practice and whatnot. But he really impressed, particularly in practice, um, and, and at some points, a lot of people thought he had shown more growth and potential than Jackson Carmen did, even though he, Smith was drafted two rounds later. So he, Zach Taylor said, and this is on Cincy Jungle as well, that if Jackson Carmen is not going to be able to go, uh, they are going to go with Deontay Smith at guard, not Xavier Suofilo, not somebody else, not Fred Johnson, none of those people. They're going to go with Deontay Smith if Jackson Carmen can't play. So um, as much as I want to see Jackson Carmen continue to develop, and I I do have high hopes for him, I I think that I'm also very, very intrigued by by Deontay Smith potentially playing and getting getting time and seeing what the growth is there, getting thrown to the wolves, so to speak, against, uh, against a Lions team that is just starving for a win. And that's why this week scares me a little bit. But Regardless, that is the direction that Zach Taylor is supposedly preparing to go should the Bengals uh, not have Jackson Carmen service services going forward here. A couple more on the injury front and some good news, some bad news. Jesse Bates is good to go versus Detroit. He's been battling that neck issue that uh, has been has been bothering him since this, the the very end of the Steelers game. He didn't play against Jacksonville. Um, didn't look quite the same as did really nobody uh, on that defense against Green Bay. You can see there he's he is he and Awuzier had some miscommunication on the coverage to that deep ball to Devontae Adams there, um, and Trey Wayne's hurt his hamstring again. Now, the breaking news I alluded to as we took the air, and yes, I got Hawkeyes, folks. I can I can see some things while I'm <laughs> while I'm on the air with you all. Uh, so, but Jesse Bates is good to go. Trey Wayne's with the hurt hamstring again. Um, played two games for the Bengals and two not great results so far. And so here is the latest. And this just went up uh, right before we went, we took the air, right as we took the air. The Bengals put Trey Waynes on IR, and then I mentioned the three practice squad moves. So um, 
we talked about Holyfield going uh, going to the practice squad. They also signed cornerback Holton Hill, a big guy, 6'2", 196 out of Texas. was a college free agent um, from the Vikings and then uh, spent three seasons there and then also bounced around to the Colts and Cowboys. He's played in 28 career games, uh, does have an interception and 11 pass deflections in his time in the league. We talked about Holyfield already. Uh, I, I, the, the thing is with this, when you hear IR, um, you know, you're thinking, oh, he's done for the year. I don't, I don't think that's what they're going to do here. I think this is, unfortunately, they probably should have done this maybe at the beginning of the season, this IR return where he's going to be out at least three weeks. And then you, you really get a chance to let him rest these things. Don't let it, don't rush him back. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, but here you go. He's going to probably be bet out at least three more weeks. So, you know, week nine to the Browns is when, and that would be a nice, uh, nice player to get back for that game. But man, Wayne's uh, playing in two games so far since being signed in the 2020 offseason. He had the pectoral injury last year. And now he's got, he's just keeps battling this hamstring issue. Um, so I, I, you know, I know a lot of folks are going to be up in arms and I guess rightfully so about Trey Wayne's, the contract and everything that comes with that. Unfortunately, it has just not worked out well for either party. I know he wants to be out there. And uh, he was kind of an integral part of what they were trying to do on defense and to not have him for so many games is just, uh, uh, it's disappointing. It's disappointing and and you feel bad for the guy, but um, you know, at some point you got to be available to help out the team. And uh, I mean, he can't help some of these things obviously, but um, just disappointing. We've had so few opportunities now to see, I mean, we've had, one game where you've had Jesse Bates, Trey Waynes, and Shadobia Wouzier to play all together. <laughs> One game. And then Wouzier left that game brief, briefly last week against the Packers. And really, those three guys being together didn't provide a, a bunch of stuff because Rodgers threw for well over 300 yards. Devontae Adams had over 200. So um, I don't know. But, uh, you know, the formula has just not been able to take place because – uh, of a, a lack of availability and that's that's a shame yeah uh, boosted gaming here and I, three years 42 million he's played in two games yeah i mean that's that's pretty much the only way you can you can paint that one right now and finally as the Bengals get set for week six can't believe we're already in week six this is when teams uh, I believe start their by some teams start their bye weeks and whatnot but the Bengals open as road favorites against the Lions, not a surprise there. Just three and a half, though, uh, which would have made that about, you know, a touchdown game had this being been played in Cincinnati based on, you know, teams usually getting about three or so points on their home field. Look, this, this game worries me a little bit. Worries me a little bit because... The Lions have been so close a couple of times and played hard throughout much of this season so far, despite being 0-5. Jared Goff has beaten the Bengals before as a Ram. And 
you know, so a lot of people are saying, well, hey, Zach Taylor can game plan for Jared Goff. He, you know, he he knows him. He was in that quarterback room. And sure. But the last time, you know, th- these two faced, it was just, uh, you know, when Goff played the Bengals last it, 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 in London, it was uh, it was pretty ugly. So, look, um, this is a game that the Bengals should win. I really hope they come out and just cruise to a, you know, two touchdown, two and a half touchdown lead, that sort of thing, 17 point win. But this is a Lions team that is playing well. They came up just short last week. They came up just short against the Ravens that took a miracle field goal to to win that game. And you have the coach this last week, Campbell, despite whatever people think of him, um, you have the coach this last week talking about, you know, resiliency and uh, effort and was basically in tears at, at the podium in his postgame thing saying, you know, we, we're so close. We're going to get this thing right. And um, I don't know. I don't uh, I, I don't particularly like this matchup as much as I did a few short weeks ago. But, um, hey, you know, that's what happens when you when you lose a game like the Bengals did. You, you kind of get a little a little more negative, I guess, uh, on the outlook, or at least I do. Maybe not all of you do, but uh, you, you can get a little uh, a little less confident, I suppose, in some things. This should be a game that the Bengals handle, though. Um, but there are elements to it that make it a little trickier than I think a lot of people realize still. I think this, this is a winnable game. The Bengals should get to four and two and uh, you know, start feeling pretty good about themselves once again and getting back into deep into the playoff picture. We're going to get to some AFC North news and some NFL news in just a second. Uh, So we're going to be here for just a little while longer. Again, this is uh, the happening headline show. I guess that's a new name or, at least a temporary new name for the show. I'm Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider and CincyJungle.com. Thanks for tuning in. We're getting to a lot of good stuff here. Appreciate you all hanging with us. Despite the Bengals losing this week, we're getting to a lot of different stuff, and uh, we appreciate you tuning in, whether it's live on our YouTube channel um, or on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, its Twitter account, a couple of other Twitter accounts, We appreciate the live viewership and, of course, those who catch it after the fact on your favorite audio streamer or on our our YouTube channel. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And, of course, subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel to be uh, to get all the the stuff from our show. Orange is the New Black from Mason Zim, Matt Minnick stuff. And leave us a review if you could. That would help us out. We're going to continue on in just a second. But before we do, I want to tell you guys about Symbol. You've probably heard me and John talk about Symbol for a number of months now. And it is a great product in which we are proud to continue partnering with them. S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P backslash O-B-I. You get an incentive as a listener to this show, a reader of Cincy Jungle. If you use the promo code O-B-I, and you deposit at least $100, it is completely risk-free for the first 90 days. Now, what does a deposit do? How does this thing work? All of that. Simple is where you can buy shares of teams like their stocks, and you can make money off of teams, whether it's short-term, whether it's long-term, whether it's a team you're passionate about, or one you just see good opportunity with, 
you can make money off symbol and it's like playing the stock market. So if you play fantasy football, if you play survival football, if you do any of that kind of stuff, if you play the regular stock market, this is something you got to look into S I M B U L L dot A P P backslash O B I. And your deposit of at least a hundred dollars is completely risk-free for the first 90 days. If you use the promo code O B I, so you can submit a deposit, get going and invest in certain teams, whether that's the Cincinnati Bengals or another team. And you, if you end up losing money, if you end up, whatever, if you end up losing your deposit, if it's in the first 90 days, you can recoup your losses by giving it a try. So sign up, deposit that money, use the promo code OBI and have some fun with symbol S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P backslash OBI. Let's go into some AFC North news. As I mentioned, the man, the Baltimore Ravens survived a weird one last night. This is on BaltimoreRavens.com from Clifton Brown, who is a staff writer over there, kind of talking about the resiliency. I'll put the link in here of the Baltimore Ravens. And really the message is they're overcoming of injuries. They're overcoming of sometimes imperfect play to somehow manage to be four and one and atop the AFC North right now alone this week. Last week, that was not the case. There were three teams atop the AFC North. Now the Ravens are there and and credit to them. They have had to withstand someone I think wrote on Twitter today. I saw Ravens fan talk about 21 or so players on IR, including basically every running back that they originally had on their springtime slash summer roster. So um, they are staying resilient. And so that's, that's kind of the big deal is, is the injuries. And that's kind of the message that I think uh, they're trying to convey there. So look, they, they were down last night on Monday night football against the Colts. And uh, they came, they came roaring back and, and they won the game in overtime. It took a blocked, uh, a blocked field goal attempt and all kinds of different things, but, that's kind of what the Ravens do. They piece it together. They find ways to win, even if it's not the prettiest and they just build a winning team. So uh, they are withstanding the injuries and the Bengals have two big matchups against that team going forward this year. So uh, those will, those will be big AFC North battles for sure. And good measuring sticks once again, for where the Bengals are. Zach Taylor has not beaten the Baltimore Ravens. As the Bengals head coach, he has beaten the Browns. He has beaten the Steelers twice. He has not beaten the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, So that is something that they need to start doing (laughs) if they're going to make their way through the AFC North and into the playoffs for sure. The Cleveland Browns lost a shootout to the Chargers, and everybody is now all over the Justin Herbert bandwagon. Uh, but the Browns place three players on IR and make other roster moves. They put defensive end Joe Jackson and fullback. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, defensive end Joe Jackson and fullback Johnny Stanton have been signed to the active roster. Uh, they placed Chris Hubbard, an offensive lineman, another fullback, Andy Janovich, and uh, safety MJ Stewart on injured reserve. So, uh, a couple of, of different moves there. And then they, they activated cornerback Tim Harris from the practice squad COVID-19 list uh, signed tackle Alex Taylor 
to the practice squad. So the Browns kind of doing some moving and shaking of their own after the loss. They also sit at three and two with the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC North. The Steelers got a win last week and they are at two and three. But big loss here. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, every Bengals fan's favorite Steelers player, uh, will be on IR. And I know a lot of people say, uh, you know, he's not that great anyway, or whatever narrative you would like to use. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is a valuable player to that team, despite all the TikTok stuff and all of all of the, the attention that the negative attention that the team doesn't seem to like that he brings to them. You know, he does, he does a lot of the dirty work. He does a lot of, uh, you know, blocking and a lot of the Heinz Ward stuff. And so, you know, Bob Labriola of Steelers.com relays some, some words from Mike Tomlin. Uh, so, he Tomlin said here, uh, Juju sustained a shoulder injury against the Broncos that will require surgery and he'll be placed on IR at some point. I'm sorry for Juju. I'm appreciative of him, the spirit that he brings, the effort that he brings, the quality of his play, but that's what makes football the ultimate team game. We'll be calling on a number of people to bridge the gap in the short and long term in terms of bringing what he provides. Um, so when you're talking about, again, he's continuing on, when you're talking about losing a guy like Juju and how he functions within the framework of our offense, usually you're talking about multiple people assuming his role in some form or fashion, particularly in the short term. So uh, this is the article on Steelers.com talking about Juju Smith-Schuster uh, being placed on IR after a shoulder injury against the Broncos. And the Broncos lose to uh they lose to both the afc north teams that they've faced so far the ravens and the steelers and a lot of people that were high on the the denver broncos early this season are now um you know kind of wondering what's going on there and how viable their team is at this point in time so uh that is a little bit going on with the steelers here's one more from behind the steel curtain our uh, our, our counterparts over in the SB Nation network, and you see here's some pro football focus grades for week five, and they particularly show Ben Roethlisberger having his best game of 2021. You can see here, here's the top five. Claypool had a, a huge game, 87.4 was his overall PFF score. You see Roethlisberger with a 77.1. Deontay Johnson also with a really good score, 77.5. And then you see uh, Smith-Schuster getting that 46.6 on the bottom. Trey Turner, 43.1. And Kendrick Green, 33.9. That offensive line, particularly the interior, continues to struggle. This continues to struggle for the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is not characteristic of their football team, to be sure. I guess we should go here. I don't. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but it is worth talking about. I guess because it is basically the largest headline in football right now as we transition out of the AFC North and just in general NFL news. And of course, this also brings about an interesting 
talking point from a Bengals perspective because the Bengals play the Raiders later this year. And I say I don't want to spend a ton of time on it because I don't like to give negative headlines and things that contain, you know, just some some bad stuff. I don't like to give that a lot of attention, but this is obviously a, a lot of um, this, this is a, a huge headline in sports in general. John Gruden resigns as the Las Vegas Raiders head coach after some uh, research done in some of his emails out to a number of different people, particularly those in the Washington football team uh, ownership group, etc. cetera. Um, there, there were homophobic slurs. There were racial slurs. There were all kinds of stuff that were found um in in these emails and in a number of emails by john gruden and it's it's very disappointing to hear about this and this was a guy that i think we all john gruden was that we i think most of us at his time at espn at least we enjoyed his insight on monday night football and his uh was it the fired football coaches of america thing where he sat down with all the quarterback the, the quarterback prospects and that was kind of a a fun thing and and just a guy who has been ingrained in this game and one of the the I, really a major face of the game for quite a while and to see and hear this kind of stuff coming from him um disappointing and uh you know he he put out some statement about not wanting to be a distraction to the raiders based on all of this and so he resigned now obviously uh this this raiders team started three and oh and have since lost two straight last week they just um you know they looked lifeless they looked lifeless in their loss and they uh i i assume this whole thing that started to come to surface days before that game had some form of an effect on it but john gruden out as the vague as the las vegas raiders head coach you know, obviously the Raiders had these grandiose plans of having him come back and, you know, you usher in this new era of Raiders football that's in this incredible stadium at in Las Vegas and all this kind of stuff. And, and this thing comes up and, um, you know, it, it's 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 a shame. It's disappointing. And uh, to, to hear and read some of the stuff that were that was contained there. And now the Raiders are forced to move into a different direction and I think a lot of people think that Enemy is probably going to be a guy they target for next year. We'll see what happens there. There are probably going to be a lot of interesting candidates. So, um, and, and that, depending on how you look at it, may or may not be a desirable job. Um, the, you know, Derek Carr was playing pretty well this year. And then now, you know, it's, it's the entire team has kind of cooled off. So um, at any rate, that is one of the major news stories right now in the NFL and in the sports world. So I'm sure everybody is pretty caught up on that. Uh, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but that is definitely worth noting, particularly the fact that that team is on the Bengals schedule coming up here. So we'll see what kind of impact a midseason coaching change has on that team, especially when that team was starting to kind of backslide after a really good start there. So uh We'll, we'll see. Here's another one on NFL.com from David Carr, who never really seems to be too high on the Bengals. And here he is, offensive player rankings, week six, five quarterbacks under 30 I'd want to build a franchise around. Do you think Joe Burrow made this one? He didn't. You got Josh Allen. You got Patrick Mahomes. You got Justin Herbert. You got Kyler Murray. 
and you have Dak Prescott. All understandable. I understand maybe Burrow is sixth um, for for him, but uh, when you see this list, especially prior to the result of last week, you would have thought Burrow for sure would have been on this list, but he is not in terms of top five quarterbacks under 30 that he would want to start a franchise with would David Carr. So uh, that's on NFL.com. You can read a little bit more about that kind of an interesting article there a little bit extra for the NFL news. Uh, There are three German cities that are now being discussed to host NFL regular season games with London in the fold as an annual destination for NFL games. Germany is now looking at possibly hosting some of these games. The cities are Dusseldorf, hopefully I pronounce pronounce these correctly. Dusseldorf, Frankfurt, and Munich uh, have been invited to proceed to the candidate phase of the process. Um, Those cities will now participate in deeper conversations about staging games in Germany. Um, Some people have said that this could be something as as soon as 2022. I don't I don't know, um, but it very, it's definitely for the near future. The Bengals, uh, the Bengals, the NFL for sure is trying to expand its brand to be an international brand. Um, there were times, I think a few years ago, a Buffalo Bills game was played in Canada, if I remember correctly. And then you've got the London aspect. Uh, and now they are looking to play games in Germany. They've, they've had a couple of German players, um, German born players come and play in the NFL at times. So, uh, you know, there, uh, there's obviously an interest there. At, at one point, NFL Europe, there were some teams in NFL Europe that were were based out of Germany. So, um, you know, that's it, it's a natural kind of feeding system to get the NFL to go and play some games in Germany as well. And obviously, uh, folks that I know that have been to Germany thought it was very cool. I have not been to Germany, so I cannot say, uh, give my take on that, but people I know who have visited Germany or are from Germany speak very highly of it. So, um, I'm sure that, that those would be cool destinations for teams and fans alike. So, uh, yes, thank you to my, to my friend, Orange Arrow or games played in Mexico as well. Yes. Mexico city as well, for sure. Here are a couple more before we bounce on out of here from CBS sports. I like to use uh, CBS Sports uh, for for a couple of different articles here, but this is one thing we learned about each NFL team in week five of the 2021 season by Cody Benjamin. Now, for all of the national uh, narratives surrounding the Cincinnati Bengals and those being trending a bit negative after their losing to the Green Bay Packers, I think a lot of people are saying, yeah, they they were close, but... That's just kind of the Bengals. They sometimes are close and they just can't get over the hump. Well, this one actually was a, a little bit more positive than I, I had expected here. And it goes through every single game uh, team based on the result of their game. And the Cincinnati Bengals, he writes, Zach Taylor might be saving his job. There's still plenty of season left, but at three and two, after pushing the Packers to overtime, they look worlds better than previous Taylor iterations in Cincy. So a little bit of positivity from CBS sports in terms of the Bengals and what Cody Benjamin saw 
from the team last week. I've put that link in the live chats for you as, uh, to, to digest as well. So check that out. And we wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a uh, happening headline show, a water cooler chat, whatever you want to call this thing um, without some power rankings. And we usually like to do the ones from Pete Prisco because Prisco is usually pretty generous to the Bengals in these, at least uh, once they start winning, he starts bumping them up a little bit. So you see, he has the Packers at three. He dropped them down a spot. Um, so he said they didn't look great against the Bengals. So kind of puts the onus on them. He has the Bengals right in the middle of the, of the NFL, even at three and two. And he writes, they showed well against the Packers. <laughs> the Packers didn't play well, but the Bengals showed well. Um, okay. Uh, they showed well against the Packers and had a real chance to win it. Now comes a trap game in Detroit with the Ravens awaiting them in week seven. That's the tricky part. Is a, the other additional tricky part about the Detroit game that I did not really mention so much, but this looks like a very winnable game and the Bengals very well could be looking beyond this game to the one presenting itself in week seven, um, the, the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, I don't know. I, I just, this, this, the Bengals can't afford to overlook this one in Detroit and uh, hopefully they do not. Hopefully they figure out what they need to do to right the ship after a tough, tough loss. And um, I, I think they will, but this is just a trickier game than I think most people assume with it with Detroit sporting an 0-5 record. We'll see. I'm Anthony Gazenza. This has been the Happening Headlines or Water Cooler Chat episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We went through a lot of different stuff. Took a full hour. Can't even believe it. Took a full hour talking about all kinds of different headlines with the team, with the division, and around the league. I hope you enjoyed it. And we're going to be back tomorrow with our big show with myself and John Sharon. We've got some fantasy football stuff coming up this week. We've got all kinds of different things. So keep it to our podcast, whether it's on the YouTube channel, you can click right there by my left arm and subscribe as well as click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And of course, if you prefer the audio side of things, you can get our podcast channel, which includes this show the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, that is. You can subscribe to that on your favorite audio streamer. We're on all the major ones. And leave us a review if you could there so we know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, all that kind of stuff. We want to hear from you. Thanks, everybody. Keep it to CincyJungle.com for your news, opinions, analysis, everything pertaining to the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll see you a little bit later this week. Have a good week.